DJ and PK brought to you in part by WCF Insurance, reminding you to be careful out there. Time to welcome in Dan Feldman, NBA writer for NBC Sports Pro Basketball Talk. Dan, good morning. Hey, how are you doing? Good. We are curious as the NBA resets. How many things are going to be real and how many things are going to be goofy because this whole year is just bizarre. They're doing the best they can, so don't criticize it, but the bubble's weird. Or, hey, just look at the standings. It's the Lakers, it's the Clippers, it's the Bucks. It's a three-way fight for the title. Everybody else wants to get as deep into the playoffs as they can. You know, I think there's far more room for variability this year than a typical year because of everything that's happened, a long layoff, uh, you know, some players uh, might still be dealing with effects of coronavirus even if they're on the floor uh, you know they lost training time they lost training time while quarantined when reporting to the bubble uh, when players are away for what would normally be a a quick absence maybe for a birth of a child you go for a day to experience that now you've got a quarantine when you come back so all these things that can make this wonky uh, but on the other hand i was relatively surprised with the seating game or excuse me the scrimmages uh, of how high the level of play was. It looked normal. And so that makes me think, you know, going into the seeding games, going into the playoffs, maybe this will be a little bit more normal than we expected. When you speak of normal, I actually think it might be, in a sense, better than normal because so much attention is going to be focused on what we're about to have happen, particularly when we get to the postseason and with the social issues that the players want to be a part of, that's going to draw attention. And then they know that they're going to be in the postseason here pretty soon, so it's going to have an inordinate amount of attention, and players love attention, particularly if it's positive. So I'm thinking that the stars, particularly LeBron James, is going to be even more excited, and we're going to see more of him. And maybe we can argue, even though at his advanced age, we're going to see the best of LeBron, certainly the best that he has to offer. That's what I think. How would you respond to that? So as far as the attention, I think when, for NBA players, when they're in it, it's close to feeling maximized. Like from the outside, you might say, yeah, I'm paying more attention to the NBA uh, than I would normally because, you know, there aren't other sports going on. Like, you know, a lot of times I might split my attention, watch some hockey, uh, but now I'm all focused on the NBA because that's back first. Like, it, it might be that to some degree from the outside, but I think from the inside, players are just used to what they consider maximum attention. They already believe that everything is about them. Uh, as far as stars playing more, I think it'll go the other way just because of the training. You know, having this long hiatus, it's hard to train. It's hard to be in full game shape. So I think it's the opposite. I think depth is going to matter more this year than usual. I don't think stars are going to be able to handle those huge minutes in the playoffs uh, like they often do. They'll still play a lot. You know, I don't think it's going to be crazy low, but I think just a little bit lower than a normal year. We always hear that travel takes a lot of people out of uh, players, and certainly you travel in your personal life and you're tired when you get there and all that. Are we going to see a higher level of play because these guys aren't flying, or could it be there and we just don't notice it because it cancels it out because it's the same for both teams? Neither one of them are flying. Right, exactly. It's hard to see. It's hard to tell. And then the flip side of that is, no, they're not flying, but they're also playing games more frequently. Uh, it's more of an every-other-day situation, which isn't always the case in the playoffs. Oftentimes there's an extra day of rest because of the travel. So I think those things are most likely to cancel out, but who knows? We've never seen anything like this. It, that's why I say it's so unpredictable, uh, because we, it's just so unique. I mean, it's, it's never been anything like this. Such a long hiatus, the longest in-season hiatus ever before this was like a week. And this is 
you know, months and months. Whether it's Portland getting their guys back healthy or maybe the Sixers who had a lousy road record and now there are no home and road games, do you see this layoff and this situation that we have benefiting any teams? Uh, that's a good question. Uh, you know, the, the first answer is going to be yes. Uh, the second answer is I'm not sure exactly who. We can see the signs, right? I think it's there for Portland with their players getting healthy, although they still don't have a, a credible small forward. I don't count Carmel Anthony as that, even though he overachieved as more of a power forward. Uh, so I'm not sure how much it's going to matter to get a couple of bigs and Yusuf Nurkic and Zach Collins back. I think uh, the 76ers still are that same high-ceiling, low-floor team. But I, I think there's probably a team out there that has done an exceptional job of staying in shape, that their players, maybe coincidentally, maybe randomly, just happen to have better access to the home gyms during the hiatus, uh, maybe happen to be players who are better at self-motivating, uh, you know, a skill that they don't often need during the season when they're around their, their teammates, when they're feeding off each other, who are just better at being driven when they're alone. And that team is going to be good shape, but I don't know who that is. But I do think, yeah, between 22 teams, one of them probably fits those conditions. So of the, the let's say the, you got the three favorites that we all acknowledge we've got to keep an eye on. Is there a team that you think is built for this, a team you're keeping an eye on, a team like this team really could break through? Well, I, I like the Rockets as the championship dark horse, and I, I thought that even before the hiatus, and I'm not sure if I feel any more or less strongly about it now because of the hiatus, but they, they play such a distinctive style going to small ball. They have the stars in James Harden, Russell Westbrook. They're complementary players like P.J. Tucker, Robert Covington. They fit the scheme. It works well for them, and it just disrupts what better teams want to do, what all teams want to do. You know, you can't really play your traditional style against the Rockets. They're used to that. They're used to putting their imprint on the game. And so, yeah, they're the type of team I look at that has enough talent, that has something a little funky to them, that could, uh, that could surprise some people. How about the Nuggets with the much skinnier Jokic? You think that that's going to make a difference? Uh, pros and cons with that. He's so good in the post carving out space uh, that he might lose some of that. But maybe he'll be better conditioned. Maybe he'll defend better. Like, a lot of things that he does well, the passing, the shooting, those should all still work. Uh, so it could be good. It, it could be a little bit of an adjustment for him as he has to transform his game. Usually being in better shape is good. Uh, but he used his weight well when he had it. So we'll see. I'm on, also not sure, even if it does help them, uh, I'm not sure it changes where they are in the league. They're, they're a good team, but a team that maybe I don't look at as you know in that top tier or even second tier of championship contenders. I, I think the Nuggets are, were in the middle of that either way. Talking NBA right now, talking NBA restart with uh, Dan Feldman, NBA writer for NBA, NBC Sports Pro Basketball Talk. Uh, jazz fans obviously curious, how much of a loss is Bogdanovich? So the question, how much of a loss is Bogdanovich? I think huge. I, I rate him as the, the biggest loss, the biggest unexpected loss of anybody going into this bubble. Uh, with him, I, I saw the Jazz as a team with a championship chance a team that would need every break to go their way, but if it did, they could win a title. And without that, I probably have them as an underdog in the first round. Uh, he was such a superb scorer, fit so well, uh, provided that offensive punch. And I, I particularly think it's concerning for Utah uh, because of everything going on with Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell. Uh, there's a chance for them to repair their relationship, and nothing helps more than winning. Uh, but it, it seems like things aren't completely smooth 
smoothed over yet, and nothing can exacerbate those problems more than losing. So it's a time where if I'm the Jazz, I absolutely want to be at my best, and I don't think that's going to be possible without Bogdanovich. How do you think the social activism will mesh with the actual competition? I think that it's going to go well. You know, I think NBA players are capable of walking and chewing gum at the same time. They've been doing this for a while. We've seen plenty of players active on these fronts before, doing things well, excelling. I mean, LeBron is the prime example, but there are many others players who can balance it, and I think they'll continue to balance it, continue to uh, raise these important issues, and uh, continue to work, just like a lot of people, right? You know, you, there are thousands of people protesting in the streets. A lot of them have jobs that they care about and do well at also. People can do more than one thing at once. So do you think this is going to cost the NBA a significant number of fans, a small number of fans, no fans at all? How much of an impact is it going to have on that end of it? Yeah, tough to say. Probably it costs them a small number of fans, but maybe build some loyalty from the fans they keep. I'm not sure if it'll gain new fans at this point. Uh, I think it, there will be a lot of performative fan losses, people who weren't that interested before pretending that they're so appalled and can never watch the NBA again when they really weren't watching the NBA that much in the first place. Like, if you like basketball, you like basketball. Like, if you don't care about the social justice messages players are espousing, that's fine. Uh, but to care so much that they're doing it that you don't watch basketball, uh, I don't really get that. Yeah, I agree with you on that. I'm wondering if they have to up the ante because if everybody's kneeling, then by the 10th game, it's not really that newsworthy. Everyone's doing it, and it sort of becomes the way of life. So I'm wondering if you see them trying to approach it from a different aspect. You know, I do think kneeling is still a very highly effective form of protest. It's not as effective as it was a few years ago when Colin Kaepernick started doing it, and NBA players didn't. Right? They made a point to demonstrate during the national anthem, but said collectively, individually, we're not going to kneel. Nobody did. And that's when it was the most controversial. That's when it drew the most attention. And thankfully, uh, as part of that attention, there was at least some discussion of why Colin Kaepernick was kneeling, that he was kneeling to protest racism, particularly through police brutality. And people were so up in arms about him kneeling, they had no choice but to at least talk a little bit about the issue, learn a little bit about the issue. And I think that will still continue. I think there are enough people who would be bothered by kneeling uh, that it will raise attention to the uh, important issue. So I think it's a, a still a very effective form of protest, even if it's not as effective as it used to be. LeBron is obviously going to do his thing on the social justice front. Is he going to get back to doing his thing in the NBA Finals? There were eight straight, and then there was a miss, but he was injured. They didn't have AD yet. How certain are you? You see, Houston's a dark horse. Clippers are contender. Can you put a number on the percentage chance the Lakers have of getting back to the Finals with LeBron? I think it's less than 50% because I would favor the Clippers. Now, I do think the Lakers and Clippers are like the top two by far, uh, but the Rockets are looming. There are plenty of other teams in the West with all the variability that we talked about that could sneak in. So I think the Lakers are the second most likely team in the West, and that puts them, I don't know, somewhere around high 30% chance of making the finals, which is a big number. It sounds low to some people who might not understand odds. High 30% is a huge number for a team that's a – Great credit to them, but the Clippers are awesome too, and you know, it's a deep field with a lot of teams that have a chance. Have you determined? Uh, I know we're not supposed to look at these games, as I understand it, 
But in your mind, have you determined between LeBron and Antetokounmpo as MVP, or do you even have somebody else? Yeah, I think it's Giannis. He was, he was uh, I would say, nearly as good as James Harden offensively, and also my pick for defensive player of the year. He was great. Uh, I think if the season continued, LeBron had an outside chance to catch Giannis. But as things stood, when, when things stopped, and that's when MVP is supposed to be chosen, honestly, I think LeBron was closer to James Harden for second and third than he was to Giannis for first. Is Giannis ready to win a championship? And if not, what is the missing piece of the puzzle? You know, he, he might be. Uh, I don't think he was ready last year. I don't think there was a bigger believer in how good the Bucks were throughout the season last year than me. But also recognize that they hadn't been tested in the playoffs. Uh, they had a, a tough series against the Raptors because the Raptors had so many veterans who knew the, the tricks of how to compete in the playoffs. I think there's something, too. You get deep in the playoffs, the attention is magnified, the level of play is magnified, all your flaws are exposed. Uh, you know, Giannis, everybody talked about his three-pointer. I think his ability to play off contact, to get bumped from his ideal spot inside, but still be able to convert, that will be a huge step for him. I think he's ready to take it. I think last year... Uh, really gave him that resolve, but we'll have to see. A lot of teams, almost all teams, all players who win a championship, they go through some playoff heartbreak first. Some of that happened for the Bucks last year. Maybe enough, but maybe not. He's Dan Feldman, NBA writer for NBC Sports Pro Basketball Talk. Dan, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for coming on with us. Thanks for having me. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Strike three call. Perhaps guessing something else. Two out. Guessing's harder than knowing. Guessing is harder than knowing. Oral Hershiser bringing the heat Off one more time, PK. Off the top rope. Well, I hope Oral Hershiser has never done anything wrong in his life as far as <laughs> cheating the game of baseball. Dodgers beat the Astros 4-2 to two in 13 innings. Of course, that's uh, Altuve striking out, and that's a reference to the banging on the trash can lid so the Astros knew what was coming, and they beat the Dodgers in the World Series. It wasn't in the World Series. It was in the uh, NL playoffs, right? Or was it with the World Series? No, you're right. It was the, They're not in the NL was, anymore. Yeah, you're right. It was the World Series. 2017? Like, that's the kind of that mistake was, I'm supposed to make. Well, I, I did. Long-time NL Central team. I know, but, and I've done it, and you guys have made fun of me hold, when I've hold on, that. hold on, hold on, hold yeah. on, hold on, hold on. My, that wasn't my question. Yes, your question was when were they were they doing it then? Because it's been three years now. When were they doing? You, you see what I'm saying? Oh yeah, I think they were doing it then. Okay, they, that's, were, they yeah. were alleged to have been doing it at that. That's point. I wasn't off the top of my head. I didn't remember. Yeah, when they were accused of doing it, I didn't recall if it went back that far. It's interesting if the Astros bash their way to a World Series title now, how much of a pass they'll get. Well, you were cheating, but you really were that good. You didn't need to do it. You know, not every bit of, and not every cheating, not every mistake, not everything is, uh, is genius. Sometimes it's stupidity and doesn't help that much. We were talking earlier this morning about the story out of Oregon that the Pac-12 and the L.A. Times were getting into bed financially and on the way to buying stories when the L.A. Times backed out, but it's still a black mark. And there are people on both sides of that, people both who work for the Pac-12, people who work for the L.A. Times who thought this really isn't anything close to genius. This is stupid. Not, it's not just wrong. It's dumb. 
You know, and so did the Astros. It seemed like a good idea, but if they bash away to a title this year or and next year, or either one of them, how much of the other stuff goes away? And like, well, they were idiots, but they really are good. I mean, the Patriots really are good. It doesn't mean they haven't pulled something, but maybe some of what they pulled was just idiot. the whole Deflate Gate thing with the football. You know, okay, technically it's illegal, and yeah, it's wrong, but that is that really the reason they won? Oh, I think that when you talk to baseball players, knowing the pitches, it's too big an advantage. I get your point on on the air they, compression of a football. Right. Uh, that seems like, well, what are we talking about here? I understand your point that you're making, but knowing the pitch is a huge is advantage. A, it's a massive advantage. Yes. And so that's not to discount their talent because just because you know what pitch is coming doesn't mean you can hit it as well, right? Uh, So the two different things there, I mean, you look at this lineup that they produce, and it is a talented lineup. I mean, obviously at the top when you usually have your better hitters up there. So two separate things there. No, I don't think anyone is denying that this ball club, these these players that – that they have one through whatever in the lineup, they're not proficient. I don't know that this year would matter. This year seems like I'm the, I don't need any asterisks for basketball, but baseball's a little different because it's so few games. Whereas basketball, it's not really that much different. The standings pretty much right. already are what they are, and the seedings in basketball, unlike in baseball, you can have a wild go all the way. Well, a wild card, we don't have wild cards in basketball, but that would be like a seven or eight seed, basically. Well, they never do it. So the games that they are coming up short, well, they were just sort of there to be played. I don't know how much difference they would have made in to having a distinction between the better it's, teams yeah. and the not-so-better teams. It's 10% of the season, and the answer to that is not very... Assuming assuming that a star player didn't have a major injury in that 10-game window. But that's also the part of the season when a lot of stars sit down. Right. So, you right. know, where they've only played seven of those 10, you know. But aside from that, I get your point. It largely is what it is at the, in the NBA. Now, in baseball, they're missing 65% of the season. But I also think that by expanding the playoffs to 16 teams, you know, the teams that would have gotten in probably will still get in. So really it'll come down to the playoff series. Yeah, but they also jacked up the regular season schedule big time. Yeah, they did. And you're not playing with fans and how big an impact do they have on a game and a little. But, you know, when you're playing in a one-run game and you're playing a seven-game series – a little can be important. A fan reaching out for a foul ball can be a big play. We've seen that. Yeah, so I have I have to see how baseball plays out, but I can see a disclaimer on the baseball season, which I'm fine. I'd rather have a bogus not a bogus You'd rather season, have a season with an asterisk than no season at all. Yeah, yeah, I suppose that's that's the easiest way to say it. Yes. Uh, The other baseball, Joe Kelly got suspended for eight games. Dodger fans are up in arms because, of course, he got suspended for eight games for throwing at, around, over, behind 
Astro players and then taunting. I'm, I think I'm always going to believe that he got four games for throwing and then four games for all the antics coming off the mound that called more attention to it because he didn't just upstage the Astros. He kind of upstaged the commissioner in Major League Baseball at the same time. But he gets eight games. That's 13% of the season. That's a big penalty, and all the Dodger fans are pointing out, well, not just Dodger fans, other baseball fans too, the Astros had exactly zero players suspended for zero games, and yet Kelly gets hit for eight. Well, he's the poster boy for, for what was going to happen. It was just a question of who the name was going to be to fill in. There was going to be a pitcher who threw at the Astros, and there was going to be a pitcher who got suspended. We just didn't know which pitcher. Right. And it goes back, as you say, since they played them in the series, even though that's going back three seasons, Joe Kelly wasn't even on the team at that point. That's why I, wasn't, I, I should have remembered that that's when they were actually doing it because that's the year that they won, and that was the big deal. But Kelly wasn't on. I think he was with Boston at the time. But yet... He's representing, obviously, the Dodger Blue now. And so, yeah, he did what somebody inevitably was going to do. And I was talking to a Dodger fan last night, and he was steamed. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And and this isn't the end of it. (laughs) The Dodger fan that I know. (laughs) Yeah, he was all worked up about it. I think this, he's, but this okay, is not the but, end. but not to mock his passion for it. Although, let's go ahead because it's fun. But he's right; it's not the. I don't think it's the end. Well, yeah, but eight games. Eight yeah, games is clearly there. He clearly, you know, I should, I should. It wasn't four games for throwing at him and four games for showing a baseball. It was two games, three games for showing for throwing at him. Two for showing up baseball, and three more games as a message to the rest of baseball. Don't do it. He's We're coming for you, though. too. We're coming for you, too. Mm, yeah. It's going to be and, reduced to like four. Okay, but isn't that uh, yeah, a total yeah, right, dog right, and pony right. show? A total dog and pony show? Like, well, he's going to appeal it. All right, we'll stick him with a few more games. So when we, we can, he still back, gets yeah. the four. That, we always wanted to suspend him for four. Now he can appeal, and uh, great. It's okay, a, but since there has been a precedent, you can argue that the next guy will get Six. Okay, but the next guy won't make it as obvious and will be smart enough not to yammer all the way back to the dugout. Okay, maybe not, but that that just added to the to the glory of it. Uh, I don't totally agree with that. (laughs) I don't know that you could be smart. I I, I think everybody knows it, so I don't know how smart you can be with being having discretion. I don't think you can hide what Joe Kelly did. We we know when they're throwing at guys. I know, and I'm not a pro baseball player. They know, so they'll figure it out. And then listening to Sutcliffe and Chipper Jones talk about it, uh, they were talking about, they asked Chipper, did you ever, because the game was on television, ESPN last night, it was on Fox the night before, and they asked uh, Chipper, did you ever charge him out? He said no. And Sutcliffe said, well, I can't have you charging the mound because I can't have you being suspended. I need you in my lineup. And so what is going to happen as far as who? Do they bring in some scrub? Because they've expanded the rosters yeah, now. Yeah, see? So do they bring in some dude? I like the way some, you think. Some, some I like the way you think. Off, off the bench? Yes. Son, yes. You're in, I'm bringing you in for one reason. I'm there's, not going to tell you what the reason is. There's an expendable, there's an expendable okay, metal so. reliever. 
Yeah, you know, so, and, for the, yeah. and for the Dodgers, let's be honest, they're down three starting pitchers right now. Yeah, maybe temporary because Kershaw maybe came back, but but they had an expensive guy opt out, and then Kershaw, and now they got another guy with a back issue, right? Is that it? Back issue, right? So they're down three starters. Now all the stuff said, oh, the Dodgers have seven or eight starters. Well, apparently it's a good thing. It's a good thing they got all these young arms. Kershaw's supposed to be back later this right. week. So. But it wasn't a starting pitcher who did it. Yeah, correct. It was a re- reliever. Yeah, and somebody who's got a little bit of attitude. I don't know uh, how many guys would make that baby face, which, <laughs> which will go down. Oh, it's a meme. A it's got to be out moment. there. It's, it's, a, it's out there. It's already <laughs> was. It was moments after it happened. Classic. All right, we talked quite a bit about the Jazz restart today. The Pelicans, the Jazz, 430, not a playoff team. So, you know, as we talk about, hey, can they go 5-3 and three here? This is one you would, you would circle this as a win, right? The Lakers are shorthanded. They're coming up. You'd probably circle that as a loss. Uh, but there are no guarantees, and certainly the Jazz played two wildly entertaining games with the Pelicans in New Orleans in January. They both came right down to the end, and they won one and lost one. Well, in an individual NBA basketball game, when the not the randomness of shots going in, but yeah, but the randomness of shots going in to a degree. So yeah. you can't. I don't know at this point. I can say any game is a win, any game is a loss in a one-game situation. Four thirty tonight, early game. And I was going to say, you know, you can listen on your way home, but a lot of you are working from home, so you can just flip it on at 4.30. The advantage of working from home, if you have that uh, situation. I do, and I will. There you go. Cashing in on that. Uh, The ACC, 11-game schedule, so kind of what the Big Ten and Pac-12 did. The difference being they're in the 11th game because a lot of their rivalry games are not conference games, whereas in the Pac-12, most of their rivalry games our conference games and are already protected. Uh, but there was a, an, an anonymous AD who said the 11-game schedule is aspirational at this point. And I think Miami's AD is worried because it's a hot spot about how are they going to get started and get playing. But they're planning on 10 conference games and one non-league game, and Notre Dame's going to be in the ACC, a conference member for one year. They're already indicating that it is a one-year deal for anybody who thinks this is going to turn into something permanent. Well, that's why I want Notre Dame to win the ACC this year. <laughs> you win a league you don't even belong into. How cool is that? Oh, uh, man, the Irish more insufferable than ever. Yeah, we played it like one time and won it. We're not going to do it again. We won the league. We're just going to stay The ACC has no defending champ in 2021 because the champ's out. <laughs> I would really love to see. Well, first of all, I want to see them play the games because that means we're in a better spot. So that's great news if that happens. And then to see them win the league. And go to the title game and wherever they play, you know, Charlotte. About no division, so I assume it would be uh, Clemson. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, right. Yes, it's the top two. They're just going to take the top two in the standings. Right. So I'm assuming that other team is Clemson, uh, and then they beat Clemson in the title game. That would that would be sweet. That would be that would just be that would just cap off because it's going to be in December, late December, right? That's going to cap off the most bizarre thing that we've seen in sports this year. They've moved it back one week. They might move it back two. Originally, right. the weekend of the 5th, I realize there's some Friday games that would be on the 4th, right? But uh, the 12th was going to be the ACC title, or the 5th was going to be the title game. Now it'll be the 12th or the 19th. So they built in a little wiggle room to reschedule games uh, if necessary. 
Uh, they also they didn't take advantage of Week Zero. That surprised me a little bit. The NCAA just did that waiver, and we know Oklahoma's moved their game up. I thought we were going to see some of that just to build in a little more wiggle room, but uh, but they're going to start in September. They're not going to take advantage of that last week in October in August. October. And we've also heard, at least I saw some reports that the SEC's strongly thinking about going to the conference only. Yeah, Ross Dellinger so that, from Sports Illustrated with the report that leaves BYU with the Big Twelve then, as far as a a, a decent enough so the, schedule. I realize they've got the independents out there, but if you want a, a good, decent schedule, it might only be the Big 12. So so I hadn't seen this. So is the SEC, is it 9, 10, 9 plus they're 1, consi- 10 plus they're, 1? They're considering a 10-game conference-only model similar to what the Big 10 and the, uh, yeah. the Pac-12. So, so if they do that, then the ACC doesn't really but need the there's some one. thought that the ACC making their announcement yesterday may cause the SEC presidents to reconsider. Well, the other thing is that they could just go plus one for the teams that want it. Also true. You know, because the SEC has a mix of rivalry games. Obviously, the Egg Bowl with Mississippi-Mississippi State and the Auburn-Alabama-Iron Bowl rivalry. Clemson-South Carolina. That's outside the league. That's a good point. That's one that the ACC is trying to protect. Georgia-Georgia Tech. Yeah, Georgia-Georgia Florida, Florida State's yeah. a big game. Louisville-Kentucky's a fourth one. Yeah, we know what they are. Yeah. So, I... I don't get why there's wiggle room on so many things. Why can't there be wiggle room on that? It's 10, and you're allowed one more if you want it. And some teams will want it for in-state rivalries. Some may want to just have one more game and fulfill TV contracts, and some may just play 10. I mean, given how localized these outbreaks have seemed to be, it, it seems like, uh, and you, you probably can't, I was going to say, you ought to be able to bet in Vegas. Well, you probably can. I haven't looked it up. You know, but are teams going to play the same number of games this year? I'm, I'm kind of assuming they're not. You know, so, uniform across. Yeah, some teams will play eight, some will play nine, some will play ten. Your goal is ten, but if you're in a state that has an outbreak, you know, I mean, Arizona had it. Now, it wasn't football season, you know, but if something like what happened in Arizona happens in another state, in whatever conference, and and the schools in that conference play two less games, well, with all the curveballs we've put up with so far in sports, why is anyone going to make a big deal out of that? And we go down to a 60-game baseball season, basketball stuff. I don't think they will if it comes yeah. to that. I think you're right. Yeah, and so and I kind of figure, it, you know, it will. I wouldn't think that all of these – I don't know how many states are represented by the Power Five, but uh, 30 or 35, I would think. You can do the, do the, break, do the math on the break, y'all. Get back to us. I, I mean, I would assume that that's going to happen, we, right? We saw an outbreak early in New York and Connecticut and then later on in Florida, Texas, and Arizona. It'll be somewhere next. All right, DJ and PK, some of what we've talked about today brought to you by Larry H. Miller, Chrysler, Jeep, Dodge, Ram, and Sandy. Find your deals online at LHMDeals.com. Your feedback's coming up. Stay with us. And it's all over almost here. Don't go nowhere. Let's go. The Big Show. It's a big deal. With Gordon Monson and Jake Scott. George Niang with us from the Orlando bubble. Give us kind of the vibe of how everybody's feeling about getting back to basketball. What's the team vibe like? I think everybody's real excited. You know, we have a real chill way about us, but we're, you know, we're also extremely competitive. Nothing has really changed. Nobody's more happier than Jordan Clarkson on a day-to-day basis. I mean, that guy is running around, shooting the ball, smiling, laughing. Everyone's real excited to be back and playing basketball. And I think that's the most important thing, you know, from a basketball aspect is that guys are just excited that we have the opportunity to use our platform for what's going on in this country and to play the game that we love. The Big Show, weekdays from 2 to 7 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. 
Feedback of the day brought to you by Audi Salt Lake City. We can pick up a new Audi Q5 SUV for only $359 per month. Visit Audi Salt Lake City at 999 South State or AudiSaltLakeCity.com. Question of the day, what qualifies as a success for the Jazz over these final eight games? I'll tell you what qualifies as success. They win, and all the Jazz players, as they're walking off the floor to the opponent, they pull a Joe Kelly. (laughs) I'll take it. Cameras will go straight to Ingles. He'll do the best at it. (laughs) How awesome would that be? Uh, That would be good. Josh says, I'll take five and three and Disney Mike playing at a high level. Okay, I would too. And uh, then Disney Mike, we're immediately getting gifts. <laughs> Mickey Mouse from the original Black and Whites, the Steamboat Willie or whatever, the first Disney cartoon. Uh huh. Somebody sent that gift in. I didn't even know it existed. Thanks for that. Mikey Mouse. I get it. Good work. Not bad. Rob C. says, I need a minimum of five wins. Yeah. Okay, if you're going to put a a record on on it, it. uh, I think that's okay. Five and three, sign it. Take it now. I think five and three does get them in the playoff in the 4-5 series against either... Houston or Oklahoma City, which to me are the two most likely playoff opponents. Yeah, I can definitely concoct cereals. cereals. Uh, <laughs> well, you take Captain Crunch and yeah. Fruit Loops, you, you put, put it in. together. And you microwave them. No, don't yeah. microwave them. Uh, there, are, there are scenarios where they could end up playing Denver or Dallas. And I think the one where they play Denver involves the bottom falling out. You were talking about they really tumbled through the standings, right? They could get the Clippers. I mean, it's only two and a half games back to Dallas. Uh, you know, you go, you go three and five or two and six, you open Why the door are we for looking Dallas. down. Look up, brother. Look up. Yeah. Well, even if they climb to three, I still think they're likely to play. And that is, they could get to three and, and play Dallas. That's a, that's a scenario that's out there. But even if you get to three, you probably still get Houston or Oklahoma City. Because they'll probably be six. So whatever happens, probably play in Houston or Oklahoma City. Nate says, I just want to win at least half since they really don't matter that much. I think they matter a little bit more for the Jazz because of the injury situation. Because it means that they were playing well and they've adjusted? Yeah, you got to have some level of success with a new lineup. You're taking a significant portion out. It's not to say it can't be replaced and overcome, but you still are. So in order to get some type of mindset of, yeah, we're playing well, you got to win some ball games. So for the Jazz, I do think it counts a little bit more than certainly for the teams that you just mentioned right around the Jazz or right above the Jazz, and even for the Mavericks for that matter. Well, Bogdanovich, uh, you know, the, the 20, 20.2 points a game, which is his career high, and shooting uh, 41.5% from three, that, that, that's huge in the game these days. I mean, it's just those are – to replace a 20-point-a-game score and 41% three-point shooting is hard to do. If they've got the depth to do it, that's impressive. Okay. If they actually pull that off. All right, you got anything uh, Anything sent to you that you uh, care about you want to share? Absolutely, I do. What do you have? Just picked up my phone. 
You guys are a really fun listen to. Just thought you should know. Well, thank you, RJ. I appreciate it. Thanks, RJ. <laughs> All right, we're all out of time. Game tonight, 4.30. We will be here tomorrow to break it down, answer all the questions, and project forward because now the games come fast and furious every other day. So Thursday, Saturday, Monday, here we go. DJ yes, and, and I would, go before we go, I would encourage everyone to make sure that they listen to the radio for the brilliant halftime and post-game analysis. <laughs> Is there going to be one certain individual on um, He's back, surprise baby. analyst. He's back. <laughs> Looking forward to doing some of that work here as we get going and then into the postseason. All right, Hans and Scott here up next. We'll talk to you.